And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Two-man advantage, Pierre Lebrun. It, I, it, it is such a strange, a strange world, but it's a strange hockey season that we are embroiled in. And every week there is there is there's more and more stuff that happens. How are you feeling about? It feels like we've this season has been underway for about oh nine months or so. It's really been what two and a half weeks. What's your overall vibe when you think about this most unique of twenty twenty one seasons? Well, first of all, it's almost like two seasons in one, right? For for a lot of us, I mean, uh, you know, we I came back to work August first uh, to uh, to to pick up the bubble and the playoffs and all that, so. It hasn't stopped since then, and and you know I always I you know it's kind of funny when when the season started two weeks ago I had some friends text us oh you must be happy to be back to work <laughs> they don't thanks, know you <laughs> thanks th- thanks for not noticing the three months of off season carnage that I was involved in uh, in terms of return to play and, and but uh, but that's it but yeah it, that that's the thing for me is that it's just been nonstop between the end of last season to staying on top of all the news in the off season and return to play. And then the season finally starts. It's just been a blur. Like it's sort of like the 19, 20, 21 season is what it feels like to me. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and it feels like, I mean, though you and I were both in, well, you were involved and well, I, we all sort of pressed into service on Saturday when 
Pierre-Luc Dubois was uh, dealt to the Winnipeg Jets and Patrick Liney came to become a Columbus Blue Jacket and uh, Jack Roselvick as well. I don't think we should ever forget him. I think he's going to be an important part mm-hmm. of that deal also going to the uh, Columbus Blue Jacket. But that does feel like a long time ago. And I, I do want to circle back to it before we get to our first guest. It's a banner day today. We're going to have Ray Shiro join us. Shane Doan, re- recently repatriated with the Arizona Coyotes, is going to join us later as well. But uh, before we get to that, uh, the, there's always news of the day and and and. We should have expected this, and you've been warning people really since the return to play discussions began that this was going to be a season about really adjusting and and pivoting Mm -hmm. and and being nimble. Uh, We're less than, well, we're about 12 hours. Call it 12 hours as we start taping um, from a game where the Vegas Golden Knights couldn't use their coaching staff because of COVID-19 protocols and GM Kelly McCrimmon lurches into action uh, for a, really a, what it was a terrific, entertaining game against St. Louis Blues. Blues end up winning in a shootout. Um, but uh, it, that's part of the reality we're dealing with, right? That Golden Knights coaching staff uh, had to be isolated. We don't know how long. We don't know now what will happen to Pete DeBoer and his staff moving forward. But this is, again part of the the daily life for NHL teams and by extension NHL fans as well. Right. So while the situation that we've had with the Washington Capitals where they're missing four marquee players, I could have seen coming and so could have you, right? Because that yeah. was part of the ideas that we had in our mind that some team was going to, you know, trip up on the protocols and then have to, you know, dress a, a lesser lineup. And the Caps have done all right, actually, through all that. But I could have never – it didn't even dawn on me that the coaching staff could be missing games. Uh, but, of course, that is part of it. Um, you know, it's obviously a member of that the Vegas coaching staff tested positive and they got to get the whole group out, out of safety for now and, until there's further testing. Now, they're lucky. Kelly McCrimmon has done a fair bit of coaching in his life, you know, for those listening who don't follow junior hockey. But he was a longtime coach, GM, and owner. Did it all. Did it all. And Brandon – with the Wheat Kings and WHL. Um, but it's always fun when the GM comes down and coaches. Like I, I remember when Bob Murray a couple of years ago <laughs> finished yes. the season as the head coach at Anaheim. <laughs> yes. I, I was, I, I just, I love seeing those images. Of course, Lou Lamorello has done it over the yeah. years. Um, kind of neat. Well, it, I, and don't you think, you know, and, I, and I know Lou Lamorello has mentioned it, and I think Bob Murray, that was part of the, you know, I mean, part of his, rationale. I mean, they weren't going to be in the playoffs anyway, so it was sort of, that was not, but it gave him, as the general manager of the team, who is, you know, his vantage point is always from, you know, the press box or the suite or wherever he watches, but to be on mm-hmm. that bench and watch, you know, that up, you know, at, at from that bird's eye view of where his team was at and what the interplay was like and the body language, all those kinds of things. Like, honestly, I, I think, you know, <laughs> it's maybe hard to do, but and you know, I can't wait that we sh- we're going to have to ask uh, Ray Shiro this when we chat with him. This is a good this will be a good segue. Whether I don't know whether he ever did it, but that perspective I think would be really important. And not that Kelly McCrimmon doesn't you know have a finger on the pulse of of what is a very good team, but he's like a lot of contending teams. They're going to have some decisions to make because the trade deadline is going to get on top of us very quickly. The taxi squad, the closed border. There are a lot of different factors that are coming into play. Um, mm-hmm. But I, you know, Vegas has shown itself to be a team that's not afraid to make bold moves, and, and I would expect this would be nothing different, even though it is a shortened pandemic, um, you know, influence season. Do you agree? Disagree? 
Uh, neither. Yeah. Okay. Uh, really, but um, <laughs> it, it, when it comes to trades, it, it, you know, it's interesting. I wonder if what's going on right now—not that it wasn't, un, you know, unforeseen, but or not that it was unforeseen, but you know, Pierre Luc Dubois has to wait the 14 days, right, to right. to play for for the Jets, and until the Canadian government is willing to amend that, and they may not. Um, you know, and, and in the meantime, you know, Patrick Liney waiting for his York U.S. work visa. And who knows in the pandemic? I haven't I haven't called the U.S. government to ask this guy. I don't know if you have, but well, we're you know, in maybe, regular contact. Well, <laughs> I mean, maybe you know we used to take those things for granted uh, in normal times, but maybe the government's a little busy right now, and that those visas aren't as smooth because I, I, we've heard a few players during camp having uh, U.S. work visa issues, right? Yeah, uh, Michael Granlund was it not? Was mm-hmm. it Michael Granlund one? And yeah, yeah, there's been a few actually, and so. I don't know. Like, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, I wonder if GMs are are going to, you know, will it deter them from making more moves, or or you know, fewer moves than they normally would because of all the, all the red tape associated with all this. Well, it, and that's it was interesting because we were talking about Vegas and St. Louis. Interesting uh, lineup decision by Craig Berube, the head coach there, and certainly some lots of buzz on social media. Now that you know, sometimes it. That's a valid. That's a valid barometer of where things are at. Sometimes it's, or lots of times, it's completely not. But of course, Vince Dunn not in the lineup there. Mm-hmm. Um, in the final year of uh, a contract, so he'll cap hit of one point eight seven five million. He's going to be an RFA. Um, that Blues team has, you know, with the addition of Tory Krug, even with Alex Petrangelo moving out. I mean, that blue line has always been. It, it's it's chock full, right? There's it's, it, it's a great. It's a great team built from the back out. And, you know, there's not, you know, we saw Justin Falk who came on at the beginning of last season. That only seems like 100 years ago. But and it took a long time for Justin Falk to sort of find his way there. He signed an extension immediately after coming over from Carolina. But, um, you know, it's it's hard to get in that Blues lineup. And now people are are drawing a line from A to B. Maybe Vince Dunn is on the market, but I, I want to just sort of broaden it, especially after the Line A Dubois Roslovic activity last week. I, I mean, I think I I imagined it would be very quiet once things got going because of the taxi squad and the border, as you point out, and all those things. Mm-hmm. Do you still think that this is that teams are going to need to make hockey moves because that's the nature of the game, or what do you make of this? Yeah, we'll still see some moves. Now to go back to Dunn, I'm trying to remember the start of your question. Now you threw so wasn't much even a at question. Me. It was just a uh, it was yeah, just a yeah, just a ramble. It was a it ramble. Was a ramble. But, uh, but your job is to respond to the ramble. You know that it's not your yeah. first rodeo. Yeah. So Frank Saravelli on on our insider trading segment uh, yesterday evening uh, was the first to to bring up the Dunn news. Um, and what he's reporting is that is that you know the Blues are in talks with teams to to move him. What's interesting is I had heard Dunn's name out there during camp in trade chatter, and then it kind of went quiet. So I, I think what Frank's reporting is that it's back on. And, of course, Denny's made a healthy scratch last night. So put two and two together, we'll see where this goes. And, and you know, that, that was a bit of a difficult contract negotiation, too, between the Blues and Newport Sports on Vince Dunn. They got done late, right? Um, so we'll see where, where, where all this goes and where he fits Um you know, so, I, you know, I listen, I, I I think it's difficult. Like, let's say, I don't know, let's just pick a team. 
Like let, let, let's take Edmonton for example. Okay. Uh, t- tough loss in Winnipeg last night, but they, they've had Very. an up and down, uh, yep. up and down start to the season. Yep. Say so Ken Holland says, ah, Vince Dunn could help us. Okay, but then he's not helping you for 14 days. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I'm with you. I'm not saying he wouldn't do it, but it's just it's just another layer right now. Like, you know, if the Jets, let's say the Winnipeg Jets missed the playoffs by one point in the Canadian division, how do you think they're going to feel that they went about six, they went, I think it's going to be six games without getting to one and obviously six or seven games after trading line. So this period where they don't have Liney or Dubois, you know, yeah, how will the Jets fare? Now they big win, big comeback win in the third period against Edmonton last night. But I don't know. These are things I think about all the time. Like I, 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 I was thinking that you know that for Montreal last week, for example, the Habs were one of a handful of teams who who stayed in there pretty late on Dubois. The timing actually would have been decent for them because had they traded for him Saturday. They didn't play again until Thursday. Their home opener is tomorrow. I'll be working it for TSN and yep. studio on the Habs TSN regional coverage. Um, Good plug there. Yep. And uh, but you know, that would have been not bad for the Habs because you're sort of like really just missing. You're, you're it's it's half as damaging as what the Jets are feeling right now because they've got they've got lots of games. So it the whole thing is interesting to me. We'll see if the Canadian government changes it, but. You know, given where the COVID numbers are, I, I don't know that it will. Yeah, well, I, honestly, I, I think you, I think there's a very slim chance that that changes. I, I just, you're right. I mean, big picture, you know, even with the vaccines, it's, um, it's, it's hard to imagine, especially you know, as we, as we approach the trade deadline. I, I just, it's hard to imagine anything happening um, prior to the trade deadline that would allow a much more freer movement of players back and forth. Well, obviously going from the United States into Canada. Don't see it happening. Yeah, but it, and it's interesting that, that once Liney does get his work visa, and, and I know that Jacket's ownership is giving him the red carpet treatment, they're flying him into Columbus on the owner's private jet. He, he'll just require a 48-hour quarantine, essentially, once he gets there. So a completely different story for Columbus right, than it yeah. is for Winnipeg. Well, and 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 your point is such a good one because for teams who might be acquiring, I mean, you talk about Montreal, Toronto, um, you know, Calgary, I think is probably going to be a playoff team. I mean, it's, it's tight, but the teams that might be obvious buyers at the trade deadline, if you're in that North division, I really think you have to think, think secondly about, to, uh, just for your point exactly, how, to make an addition that won't be available to you for, and let's call it, six games or whatever it is. Geez, that's a, it, I, I, you have to think twice about it. And I think it puts a, teams based in the States in a lot better position because you're right, their circumstances are completely different. There's no, it, it, mm-hmm. I guess the bottom line is not a level playing field for all 31 teams when it comes to this kind of dynamic. And and I don't think there's any other way around it. Like, what's the league going to do? Say, well, no, no one can acquire a player and they everyone has to wait 14 days. I, I don't see that happening. No, on the other hand, whereas the Canadian teams are at a disadvantage right now, trade-wise that way. On the flip side, you know, um, so far, knock on wood, the Canadian division hasn't had any real COVID protocol situation uh, that has affected lineups for the most part, compared to obviously the central division. I wrote yes, about that wrote this about week that. with some yeah. of the GMs involved and 
and now we've had the Vegas coaching staff. My point is, it'll be interesting if that's almost the uh, the 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 balancing act that that some of the U.S. teams uh, are hit a bit harder because of the different regional COVID rules. Right? It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. One question uh, before we uh, go to our first guest, uh, Ray Shiro, as mentioned. Uh, I got to tell you, maybe my favorite image of this of this past week was the very end of the Leafs victory over Calgary where, where Jake Muzzin and I I'm sure I just I just love that moment the puck sort of lying loose there at the end of the game he sees Matthew Kachuk <laughs> in the corner puck ends up being it wasn't a hard shot but it was sort of drifted towards Matthew Kachuk at the end and I I was just thinking by the end of this entire north division experiment what what is the angst factor with Matthew Kachuk and the rest of the Canadian teams going to be like? Because I mean, Toronto and Calgary have they basically have no history, right? Like they see each other twice a year. Who cares, right? But already we're like, okay, this mm-hmm. is the, the fire is red hot. I, I don't know what you made of it. And I, I got to tell you, I love it. I just I am glued to the North Division every single night. I'm more curious that once Ottawa and Calgary are done playing all their games, the Kachuk brothers. I mean, uh, you know, Mark and Dale Hunter had what once sort of had to tussle a bit in the Battle of Quebec, and uh, um, Keith and Wayne Primo fought once. Boy, their parents were mad at them, remember? Yes. That, that, that I was remember classic. that, yeah. Uh, I don't, I mean, I hope we don't see that happening with the Kachuk brothers. Um yeah, it's it's. Listen, I'm living the Canadian division, obviously, uh, with the Habs work I do in TSN. But just watching all the Canadian teams every night, it's it's must see TV right now. And I, you know, I tweeted this yesterday, and I didn't necessarily do it because I had an answer. I was curious to people's reaction, but I will tell you that it, it it seems as though so far, in a way, maybe it'll calm down. But the glare of having all Canadian matchups every night has really ratcheted up the intensity of the fan bases in Canada. Like people in Ottawa and Vancouver are losing their minds over the past week with the, you know, last couple of days for Sens fans, angry at the usage of some of the young players. Canucks fans were ready to fire everyone before they beat Ottawa the other night. Oilers fans have been up and down since the start of the year. It, it's, it, it, there's just, I mean, even some, you know, some of the narrative coming out of the Leafs win last night, both from some of my colleagues in the media who cover the Leafs, but also from Leaf fans, is that they're an ugly six and two. I, mean, I just think it's only it's Leaf the, fans can uh, yeah. only Leaf fans can be complaining about being six and two. That I got to so, tell you, that's so on type. That's that's on narrative for the Leaf fans. But but I think it's uh, you know, it's indicative of everyone's watching type mentality, right? It's Canadian teams against each other every night. Don't embarrass yourself. The, the you know the pride of the fan bases. It, it's I think it's going to be wonderful all year. I I'm I don't know. I'm not in the position yet because so many people were were quick to point out this should be the way it is forever. Let's let's circle back at the end of the season and you know is there a chance that we'll feel that while it was unbelievable and remarkable and something to remember forever that that that's enough. That everyone's nerves can't take it past this year. I don't know. It'll be uh, be interesting to examine that. Yeah. Well, unless I mean, you know, it's never going to happen, right? I mean, that's it makes no sense. (laughs) It makes no sense. Well, well, it makes no sense to to uh, 
I don't think it makes any sense, obviously, geographically to to keep the division together. What what where there may be some impetus is trying to work on the NHL schedule to modify it so that there are more all Canadian matchups within the context of the league getting back together. Right. I mean, that, uh, that, I mean that's that's possible. Yeah. You never know. But I, you had thirty two teams. You had seven in Canada. Uh, like I'm not much of a math guy, but I know that doesn't work. So okay. <laughs> All right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, as promised, Ray Shiro. Ray, it's, honestly, it's, it's so good to have you aboard. And uh, it, it's a treat. I can't wait to find out what you're up to. And actually, Pierre and I were just, so I'm going to jump right into it. Yeah, but Pierre and I were talking about typical. I'm going to get right into it. It'll only take me five minutes to get to the actual question. But the (laughs) we were talking about Vegas last night and Kelly McCrimmon having to come down from the GM suite or wherever he watches his games at uh, T-Mobile to take on the coaching duties because of the COVID-19 protocols for the Vegas coaching staff. And and Pierre and I were wondering aloud when in your history as an NHL executive, did you ever have to? Did you ever have to come down and get on the bench? Did you ever do any coaching for whatever reason? Um, not a chance, and um, <laughs> never came close. And um, yeah, that's actually I didn't see that. I heard about it last night. Actually, my I was watching another game, and actually, my son texted me about Kelly being on the bench. I'm like, oh man, it can't be that good of news. And I just don't know. That might have been last minute. I'm not sure what kind of suit Kelly had on or whatever. Hopefully, a good one. But he's got more. A lot more time behind the bench than I do, but um, I never really got close to getting down there. And um, despite my dad being a longtime coach, I don't. I've uh, I stopped at my my kids were like eleven. That was about it. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, well, given I, your lineage, well, <laughs> given your so lineage, I was just gonna say one. Yeah, I was just gonna say one thing, Pierre. Though the uh, closest I kind of got, like uh, anyway, was after Game Seven in '09 in Detroit. And um, we were in the locker room with the Stanley Cup. I mean, I mean, so it might have been an hour after the game, and I just walked out of the locker room and at the old Joe Lewis and went to the visitor bench, and there was no one in the building anymore. And I was just behind the visitor bench on my own. We had just won the cup, and who comes walking out? No idea I was out there, but Dan Balsma. And that, Dan had been hired, what, you know, four months earlier or something like that. And I never really mm-hmm. gave him a formal interview, even though he was coaching our farm team. And, and we're just looking at each other like, wow, we just won the cup. That's kind of amazing. I said to him, I said, Dan, like, we never really got around to this in the interview process, but do you have a like a, a level or anything, a coaching certificate in USA Hockey? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's great. What level you got? He goes, I got a three. I'm like, Jesus, God, I got a four, for God's sake. I mean, this ain't good. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to feel that make Kenny and, and Mike Babcock feel bad, but what the heck. So anyway, that's as close as maybe I got. Yeah. Oh, that's a great story. Well, Ray, listen, thanks for uh, for coming on. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's been a bit now since we've seen you in the NHL spotlight, uh, since you parted ways with the Devils. Uh, you know, tell our listeners what uh, generally you've been up to since then. Well, it's kind of real different, just like with everybody now. You know, obviously, it's, you know, it was a little over a year ago 
when uh, with the devil and uh, I think it was a week or so. Tom Fitzgerald's first as OGM, which I had to remove. Also, the first yeah, the while I got fired. Thanks, Fitzy. Um, <laughs> I think it's just because um, it is like it's like okay, ironically, Fitz, you know what? This is also commemorative of getting fired. So uh, for Fitzy, but it's it's been such a weird year audience certainly um with the global pandemic and you're trying to stay safe so different than it would for for everybody um no different um and that's where it's been for a number of years now which is fantastic to be um so that and they try to stay as safe as possible but in terms of what we're up to i mean i remember the great part of the summer was when there was six seven hockey games on at the time out of the, the bubbles and and now certainly, you know, last night and tonight and, you know, just having, being able to watch hockey is fantastic. And, um, so that's, you know, keeping up with that and, and things, but it's so much different than it would be in a usual year, certainly. And hopefully everybody, everybody staying healthy and being smart about things, at least here in Boston. And, um, when we come out of this thing, uh, what it's, it's nice to see the game back on. It's certainly nice to have conversations like this and hear you guys go back and forth as to what's going on last night and what the fan bases are saying and teams that won last night, fans are still mad. And I'm like, man, I miss that a lot. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> the juice, as they say, right? The juice. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, Ray, it's funny. I was so, I knew that we were going to chat with you today and I was thinking, um, you know, Pierre and I, you know, we've been talking a lot about what happened with Columbus and Winnipeg. And obviously you've known Kevin Shevel day off the GM in Winnipeg for years, but you also worked with Jarmo Kekalainen, uh, the GM in Columbus. So you have a long connection there. And I'm wondering when you see something like that happens, like, are you sort of living it because you understand the dynamic of what GMs go through if a player, you know, needs to be moved or wants to be moved. Like, do you view those kinds of things differently? Well, I assume you do than a normal fan. And maybe what's that, you know, what's that like for you to watch, especially, you know, you've known those guys for a long time and knowing how important that kind of deal is for both their franchises. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's that deal very often. And uh, I've known Kevin a long time, but also I've known Yarmo a lot longer. And I was actually, I've known Yarmo probably since 1987 and actually was, became one of Clarkson University, believe it or not, and known him a long time. And uh, But just from the outside, I think you have a little different because you happened pretty quick, obviously. And, um, you know, the, the, the buildup to the trade and, you know, Dubois' final shift, a lot was made of that. But just knowing and Having, I was forced to work with Amarillo for a month before he went to Toronto. And, um, one of the things, you know, Lou says makes a lot of sense. And, um, he'll always say that, listen, when I make a trade or a signing or whatever decision he makes, no one has the information. We can all speculate and, you know, we can all, but if we have try to find out what there's a lot like on behind the scenes, whether it's from the ownership or whether it's from the locker room or whether it's from the coach that the GM has to, to deal with. And, and that's the big part of being a general manager is managing those situations. And um, I think, you know, Kevin and, and made good trades out of, you know, you don't really have that two young players like that. And uh, I think it hopefully will be good for both. And don't forget, you know, Russell Vick is a good player too, young player and the new opportunity for him. And, um, but I just, you know, you look at that and it's a lot of pressure to be under and, you know, you're under the microscope, and um, but I think it's 
And when I was actually, when I was in Ottawa back in the day as assistant GM and it was in 95, we drafted Brian Burrard first overall and Wade Redden was taken by and it was right behind him. And a year later, you know, they were back in junior and that's, you know, Pierre Gauthier made the real good trade for, for Ottawa trading because Brian, you know, wasn't keen on really playing in Ottawa or Canada, I think it was. And, uh, but that was a, a good mm-hmm. trade for both. Uh, you know, you don't see that very often. So, you know, Redden was traded from the Islanders to uh, Ottawa and certainly went on to a long career with the, with the Senators and, and did fantastic. And, and certainly with Brian, uh, the flip like that of young players, you don't see it often, but it should be, you know, a good fit. And both players, you know, wanted that to happen. And, you know, um, you know, they wish for it. So we'll see what happens. And hopefully it's a good story. And, um, you know, there's, uh, for both Winnipeg and for Columbus. And, you know, it's, they're both good hockey teams. And I like, credit the, the both GMs to being proactive and getting this thing done. And, or else it drags on and it was going to be fair for anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and over the years, uh, Ray, you've been pretty proactive, not necessarily when players are asking for trades, but I think of a couple of instances. One is more recent, one is longer ago, where you know you're not going to be able to sign the player. Uh, Taylor Hall last year uh, was an mm-hmm. example where you want you wanted to get ahead of that. And mm-hmm. I remember Jordan Stahl when you had Jordan Stahl mm-hmm. in, in Pittsburgh, and, and yep. you know you tried to sign him to an extension. Correct me if I'm getting all this wrong, but then when you realize it wasn't going to happen, um, you did not waste time. Uh, you <laughs> you that yeah. was on the mm-hmm. at the draft right where where you got yeah. that cooking with uh, Jim Rutherford yeah. in Carolina. Yeah, it was kind of, I mean, it was actually Jimmy Rutherford was a GM in Carolina at the time. I'm a GM in Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, we had offered Jordan a 10-year extension to stay. And, um, you know, we were up front with him and vice versa. So was Jordan. And But, you know, he still had a year left. And Jordan never asked for a trade at all. Uh, but we just, and Jimmy Rutherford was really transparent and, and above board. And he just said, you know, just a heads up, um, in a year from now, we're going to come after him hard, and he's going to be a group two, I believe. I'm like, yeah, well, it's he didn't have, like he didn't have a no trader like that, but everybody kind of speculated. Right. Um, you know, there's only so many stalls, a lot of stalls in the game, but it's either going to be you know Carolina or the right. Rangers, right? So with Mark or with Eric, and you know, so uh, yeah, I'm talking to Glenn Sander. I got lots of come on, I got a lot of a lot of interest here. He goes bullshit. I'm like, yeah, um, there's a couple, uh, but you know, so so that's I mean, in every situation, it's a bit different, and and you know, with deals like this and uh, those deals that we're talking about, you know, it's a lot. You know, the focus is on the manager, but let's be honest, in deals like this, it's your got your ownership involved, certainly, and, you know, direction your franchise. And you know, that was a decision that, you know, was made in Pittsburgh and, you know, try to get ahead of it. And um, and certainly with the Taylor Hall thing, I mean, it was a little bit different uh, where Taylor was going to be unrestricted, where Jordan wasn't. And, and Taylor right. never asked for a trade either. And obviously, you know, a lot of transparency conversation with Taylor. And, you know, just the way uh, the team never played well enough, obviously, near the beginning of the year or, you know, obviously I, I got let go in January and uh, John and John Hines in December, but, you know, we never got to the point. I think Taylor played 30 games for the Devils last year, maybe at six goals or something like that. And the team, uh, there was never got close to Bob. We're going to make a run for the playoffs here, but, you know, make it a hard decision. Should we, you know, keep him? You know, I don't think there's a night. I think it was pretty apparent that he was probably going to go to test free agency anyway, no matter where, but that was a different situation. And, you know, could you get more at the deadline? Yeah, well, I don't, Listen, um, I don't know what people are offering the deadline, let alone do I know the guy's healthy at the deadline either. So if you have the deal mm-hmm. you think is right, because there's already a template for the, those type of deals. And you, you know, it's a good time also to talk to a lot of different teams in the league and you find out 
the value of your players. And that's the best way. And I always said that about your own players and your team. Hey, are they any good? Well, we might think they're good, but if the good ones are the ones that the GMs ask for from other teams, you know, so that's no, and that's, we found a lot about that. And, and certainly even a, you know, a month later when I got let go that hopefully that paid off with Fitzy and a lot of groundwork that he was involved with and, and future deals at the deadline for him. So, um, but it's, you know, those are big deals those guys made and um, makes it interesting, especially in the 56 game season. I mean, um, mm-hmm. this keeps happening though. Like there's going to be, you know, those trade day, you know, the TV shows, it's kind of tough. So, um, but it's, it's good. I mean, it's, it's, it's good for both markets, hopefully. And they're both good young players. Yeah. I'm curious, Ray, what it's like for you. You mentioned you were watching a game last night and, mm-hmm. and we've had, you know, when you talk to a coach who's, who is, you know, waiting for another opportunity to, to open, they view the game in a certain way and maybe they're making notes and putting together some sort of, you know, it's a game plan or whatever it is mm-hmm. that the coach might do, you know, when, when they get a chance to get back in, you mm-hmm. know, to walk back into a coaching job. Mm-hmm. Do, do you watch the game differently uh, as an executive? Are you making notes? Do you have a book? Like what, how is it, how is it for you when you sit down to watch games or can you step right back and just watch it as, as a guy who loves the, the game of hockey? I think it's um, maybe the latter. And to be honest with you, I think with coaching, uh, talking to a lot of different coaches, certainly, when they even, you know, certainly even when they're coaching, presently coaching the league or when they're out, coaches definitely watch a game, whether uh, differently than I would think a manager. I mean, there are systems and what the other team, I'm like, as a manager, I I find myself, I want, you know, knowing the players and I'm not so much into a system and things like that. And, um, you know, it's interesting if you see some team, have you know, a a power play that's kind of off the charts or this or or. Okay, you want to see maybe what they're doing and uh, what might become of that. But I, I think from a manager standpoint, I always enjoy just I won't like watching the games and I don't, um, you know, the NHL and that's you know being up to speed on that. And there's some new players in the league this year that weren't last year, and but there's so many games going on now that you certainly get familiar with them and uh, somewhat you're familiar from from the draft or the draft year. And no, but I think you know even when I watch games now, I, I'm enjoying the game and I like seeing some of the new players and I love seeing some of the players that get better, you know, and, you know, that's, we always have to, when I was, you're a manager, always my coaches or your scouts, like players get better, you know, well, that player for that team is no good or that, well, that was last year, but this year he's getting better or, um, and guys get worse. And, um, but it's always good to keep the league like that for myself and, and, you know, seeing even when the, you know, the Dubois potential trade for, Okay, what teams might make sense, and if that team, why would they want it? And you know, you play manager for the other team, and um, okay, how does that set them up? And certainly, then you look at free agency years that they might get taken up, and, and so forth. I, I enjoy watching the game that way, and certainly, I would think different than the coach watches it. Ray, I don't know if we'll see any openings during the season here with the, the pandemic and the financials and the situations a lot of the owners are in, but eventually, will there will be some? And I always say it's a, it's it's a it's kind of an awkward spot for, for when guys are, are not in a job to be in because you support the other guys so much as a community that you're not wishing anyone to lose their job. But there will be openings and, and you'll want to throw your hat in there, I presume. And I, I'm curious, you know, when that process happens at some point, um, you know, if, 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 if you can share with us, you know, what you're going to, you know, part of the vision here in terms of, you know, selling yourself again to an owner and, 
you know, the game keeps evolving, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the, the, marry, the marrying of data with, with eye test and, and all these things that we talk about all the time now and running a mm-hmm. team. But how, how, do you, mm-hmm. how do you stand on all that right now? Um, I mean, I think in terms of, you know, I was an assistant GM for 13 years and, you know, I think I was an NHL GM for 13 years, something like that. Um, and honestly, I, my 13 years as an assistant GM, I never worked a day to be a general manager. I was passionate about being in the game of hockey. I was passionate about helping the team I was with, Ottawa and Nashville, and um, as an assistant GM and then helping my manager. And you know, that is my, that's the same thing now. Like I'm, you know, in terms of where, I don't know if an opportunity may or may not come around. And I know it's the one thing you have to be passionate about it. You have to, um, for the right reasons. And, and of course, everything evolves. And the last time I was out and I um, was real happy, you know, to see uh, the guy I worked with in um, New Jersey, Sonny Meta, get an opportunity in, in Florida. And uh, Sonny's a real good mm-hmm. guy. He was really good to work with. And he was hired before I got there by uh, Lou Lamarello and, um, and Josh Harris and David Blitzer. And, but again, everybody has that, and it is, and it's you know it's great. You know, I was talking to Lee Stentmack the other day. Very happy for Lee, obviously, his role of Arizona. I think that's a you know we had that in Jersey, uh, Mike, last year, which is important. And you know, there's so much information. Okay, how do you break it down? Especially getting that information to your coaching staff on a back to back. You know, and now it's gonna be. It's I think it's more interesting even this year because. Usually you're playing, let's say, Buffalo on a Friday night at, at home, then you're flying up to the game, you know, to Chicago, play Chicago. Okay, the data is that all of that is different for the next game. And that team you're playing on Saturday, they played Friday night against somebody too. So you have that information. But now all of a sudden you've got teams that are like the baseball style schedule. Like it's fantastic that mm-hmm. you can really use that data. You know, you're playing these guys back to back. It's almost like a playoff series. And, you know, mm-hmm. that is really where it comes to coaching, you know, the adjustments to the next game and, you know, the lineup, depending on what the lineup is based on injuries and certainly COVID. But I think that's interesting to see how that data is applied from, a you know, from your analytic group to your coaching staff and how that's going to be utilized, especially the player usage. And, um, you know, interesting, of course, the the puck tracking kind of got off the ground and crashed. Oops. So hopefully that'll, that'll right. see. That's a that's a shocker. Uh, anyway, still waiting for that. But no, I think with anything as appearance, you know, it's it is the you know the, the data. It's so different. I mean, we're talking analytics, marrying it to obviously decisions made in from either a manager or a coaching staff and, and or a lineup even. And but at the same time, we're also talking sports science and how that marriage is and all those things. I mean. You know, different in you know New Jersey, a lot of different things we did with sports science, and they might have the one or only two of the you know hired Mike Kadar, uh, longtime strength coach uh, for the Penguins and uh, and Red Wings and so forth, but hired him as kind of the um, develop strength development guy. So in terms of once you know the guys that are playing in the AHL in a normal year, yeah, you've got your strength coaches that get that, your sports science, but AHL is not going on. And even a normal year, you draft your college players, they go back, you know, they go to college or your European guys after training camp, they go back to Europe. Well, okay, you kind of lose touch with them. You, of course, you have your player development guys, but in terms of, hey, over the course of a year, is the guy getting stronger or working on some of the imbalances you could have? Well, that where is like where Mike Theodore came in. And, and I think that's fantastic and a step in the right direction. It's no different than, you know, got back in, was it too long ago, back in 07, 08, when I, I mean, who in the heck had a goalie development coach, right? Now everybody's got it, and everybody's got 
you know, two of everything or three of everything. And I think that's, you know, keeping up. And, and certainly what you don't want to have is too, too much information or too many people. Like you can, there's this thing of having too many people, in my opinion. Um, but again, it's, you know, I think that's, you know, talk about evolving. I mean, it used to be, you know, six teams and 12 teams and 16 teams and 21. And now we're going to be up to 32. Everything evolves. And there's, if you take a look around, just the, the staff directories of teams, I mean, over the last 10 years, I mean, so many jobs, which is incredible, have, you know, have been created for within hockey. And I think that's amazing. And I think, you know, continuing along that, and I'd love to see, you know, certainly with the, a number of women that have been hired and certainly you'll see a lot more of that too. But, you know, certainly even with, um, you know, I think it was last year, I think someone, Mike Greer, I mean, Mike Greer was the only black assistant coach on the bench last year and he was with the Devils. And yeah. um, I didn't even know that. Oh, really? I didn't even know. Like, uh, okay, great. I think Mike Greer is fantastic. And, um, you know, I think to see the game evolve like that, it's no different than keep up with that. And, um, but again, getting in terms of getting back in that seat again, that's certainly not my decision. That will, you know, that's certainly at an owner's level. And if not, then at some point, maybe be back in and, you know, whether it's advising a team or do whatever, because you have something to give back. And it all goes back to what I said is you're passionate about the game. You're passionate about trying to help people and really not about me or an ego or so. Oh, you have to be a giant. I never worked <laughs> to be, I never worked a day to be a GM. And, um, and I ended up doing it for 13 years. And, you know, it's, you know, that that's the right, you, you guys are in the game for, obviously you're passionate about hockey and it's no different wow. from my standpoint. And, you know, um, I, I think that's the greatest thing just to, to be involved like that is fun and we'll see what the future holds. Well, Ray, it's, it, it, you can always, uh, you quench your hockey thirst by coming and joining Pierre and I anytime you want. The door is <laughs> hold, always hold on, open hold on. here. Hold but on. Before get... we go though, I, I, <laughs> yep. I forgot to ask Ray this. So I, oh. so I have to, since we have Shane Doan on the, on the podcast today as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I have to ask you, I mean, and sure enough, Time has passed because he's he's mm-hmm. retired now. Did you ever try to trade for him, Shane Doan? Um, never. I don't know if I ever tried to trade for him because it was one of those things that I think it's one of those things that anybody tried to trade for Crosby or something. I don't know. I mean, Shane Doan. I, I don't know. I ever had any conversation, let's say, with the Don Maloney at the time, and you know, he's there maybe ten years as GM. But I know one thing: when he was coming up in free agency, absolutely. We wanted, we were interested in signing him as a free agent. And I still remember, um, it was really the first time dealing with who was his, um, agent at the time, Terry Bross, I believe his name was. And Terry was a, more of a right. baseball guy. But if you recall, um, I didn't know what to say. I was with the Penguins and I didn't know what to tell Mario, like the view, like, Hey, we have a chance. Don't have a chance. Well, what the agent say? Well, the agent said, um, there's mutual interest, but he said that to one of 26 other teams. So I'm not sure where we stand. <laughs> if you remember, you can tell Shane yes. that. Like, there's mutual interest. Okay, great. Well, that mutual interest, like, he said that, I mean, it was like, you know, it's kind of like Berkey would say back in the day before salary cap, all the players, like a, like a parakeet, no cap, no cap. This guy, mutual interest, <laughs> mutual interest. Okay. Well, I, you know, the great news, if you remember, the great news, Shane ended up staying in, in Arizona, and that's where he should be. And as we chatted about right before he came on, well, I mean, I'm so thrilled, number one, for Shane to be back with the Coyotes, but I'm thrilled for the Coyotes and their fans. I mean, honestly. Yeah. what's more natural than that and then hopefully oh, but that's a great step in the right direction and i'm very happy for him and um you know anyway so yeah i never tried to trade for him but the signing oh we had a chance 
All right. Uh, Good to know. Yeah. So they're saying there's a chance. Uh, (laughs) All right. Anytime, guys. You guys take care. Thanks for having me on. Ray, that was terrific. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. Appreciate it a lot. Pleasure, guys. All right, my friend, I got to tip my hat to you. That was great to have Ray on. That was your doing. So good on you, my friend. And uh, great to catch up with him and just... I, I mm-hmm. it, it will be, and you sort of alluded to it uh, near the end. It will be interesting to see, you know, what what happens next for Ray Shearer. I mean, guy built a Stanley Cup champion in Pittsburgh, went to back to back cups in 08 and 09, and and I think uh, you know did a nice job in laying the groundwork in New Jersey. And interesting, of course, is his you know protege and good friend Tom Fitzgerald. I think continues to do really good work for a, a young and emerging devils team. And it, it's going to be interesting. I, honestly, I, I, I imagine Ray Sherrill is going to be a, a top executive somewhere sooner than later. I, you know, maybe not next summer, but I, I think it's going to happen. Yeah. And we'll see who knows if, if I'm kind of interested in how the league is evolving as far as splitting up duties in front offices and, you know, like, like, will he also maybe have offers as presidents of hockey, a president right. of hockey ops and have a younger GM work for him? I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how the game continues to evolve that way because Ray is bang on. If you look at the number of jobs now listed in a front office, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the, I remember the talk, talking to David Poyle about his first job as GM in, uh, was it Atlanta? I think, or, or no, he was the, sorry. Cliff Fletcher was a GM right, in Atlanta, the right? Initial thre- worked yeah, for Cliff. the initial flames. Yeah, and, and then it was like, that was it. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> it was the two of them. <laughs> and and over the decades. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Ray Shiro has so much to offer. And, uh, you know, and we'll see when that time comes. Like I said, I don't know if during a pandemic we'll see a lot of hirings and firings at that level. I think a lot of it will wait till the offseason. Yeah. But yeah, that could good be point. Wrong. And... This is a great segue because I can't wait to talk to Shane Doan and ask him about how close he came to signing with the Pittsburgh Penguins as a free agent or maybe not at all. But anyway, it's going to be great to uh, catch up with uh, Shane Doan. So that's uh, next on the agenda for you and I. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, my friend. As promised, we are now joined by Shane don't. And Shane, I'm reading off my hand-prepared notes. The new chief <laughs> hockey development officer of the Arizona Coyotes. And I got to tell you, that is one heck of an impressive title. I'm not sure exactly what it means, though. So what? It, what's your new gig? What's, what's your new gig with, of course, your old team, the Arizona Coyotes? What's that about? You know what? It gives me the opportunity to kind of work on both sides. I, I can work on the business side and do stuff with corporate and help out with that as I've been in the Valley and around the Phoenix for a long time. And yet at the same time, I came straight from the hockey ops over at the league. And so I have the ability to help out in the hockey ops. So it's kind of working on both sides and hopefully, uh, being helpful to, uh, whoever needs me. So it's kind of a utility help out everywhere kind of thing. If that makes sense. (laughs) 
Well, that, that, that would explain the 19 words in your title, I guess. You have to, have to cover off all the different departments. Uh, and and you you get back to the only NHL team that, that you knew, well, at Winnipeg slash Arizona, after a few years working with the league. And in fact, the last time I was on the road pre-pandemic was at the GM meetings in Boca Raton, where uh, you had attended a number of meetings the last couple of years, both Board of Governors and GMs. What was that period like for you in terms of, you know, learning and, uh, you know, different sides of the business when you got to see the insides of those meetings. I, I'm kind of jealous because I'm the guy standing outside waiting impatiently for everyone to walk out. But what's it like to be on the inside for a couple of years? Uh, well, you know what? It was it was something that I really enjoyed. Um, it's fascinating to see how each individual club op- operates a little bit differently and yet at the same time how similar they all are. And as for me... To be part of the hockey ops department with the league, that's just a great group of guys. Obviously, Coley and Murph and Kinger and Roddy, those guys are the guys that I probably spent the most time with. And to be able to work with those guys and kind of see the way they interact with the clubs and see the interaction with the clubs with hockey ops was really probably the most um, informative part of what I got to do. And at the same time, um, exciting too, because like you said, it's fun to be in that room and to be listening to see how decisions are made and who are the major influencers and in, in a lot of those decisions. Shane, I think a lot of people just assume, well, this is this is how it should be, and you should be with the Arizona Coyotes. It's, yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like such a natural fit. But I wonder, from your perspective, whether you know, my understanding is that there were opportunities for you to 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 go to other NHL clubs, to take on roles maybe um, with an individual club that wasn't the Arizona Coyotes. And I wonder when it came down to it, what was so important to you or what do you, what drew you back to this new role for you? Uh, yeah, the, the probably the biggest thing was this is, I'd kind of always made it my plan and goal was to kind of work for the Coyotes when I was done and, and, it was getting different in the idea that uh, maybe that wasn't what was going to happen. Um, but when it did come up that I was pretty excited for the opportunity to do it. And with some of the other clubs, it was, you start to realize that it's, it's really all about relationships. Like it's about good people and relationships and getting the opportunity to work with good people. And, um, and that was probably the most exciting thing about talking to the other organizations is how many good people there are working in the league and the ones that are how you want to work with those guys and be around those guys and um so to come here and have opportunity to work with with the coyotes is that was important to me well shane be careful because joe sackick went in as a president in colorado and came out of it as a gm so just be careful what kind of path you're going down there <laughs> Man, man, he's done a terrible job as a GM. <laughs> oh, that team is that that team has no chance. That team has no chance. Uh, in, in all seriousness, though, I mean, it's 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 got to be so exciting for you to to see where this is going to lead. And I got to ask you about this. And I I I I wonder how many times back to where we, you were captain of the team, you and I stood in the dressing room in Arizona upon my few visits out there and had this conversation. But I, I, I think I've lost count. The rink. Yeah, how important is it for this franchise and to eventually figure that out? Do you think? Well, it 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 is, and it's funny because the other day we were doing the numbers, um, just talking about different things, and 
we've actually been in Glendale longer than we've been than we were in Winnipeg. Well, not oh in Arizona, just Glendale itself, which That's is crazy. kind of funny. Yeah, I never would I would never ever thought that. So there is a large number of people that have started to view Glendale as as really home, and and our fan base has grown up around here. Now you also recognize that the valley itself has some other opportunities that could be really nice for the club as well. So um, here is here is home, and hypothetically, I mean you decide that you're moving the team to another location here in the Valley. It's probably four years away, five years away. And you're now looking at, you know, 25, 26 or 21, 22 years in this building. So we've been here a while. We love the building and really like the situation here, but it, uh, the Valley, there's obviously lots of opportunities everywhere. Shane, it's uh, and I don't know what it was like for you watching from afar, even though this was really your home. But I mean, there've been there've been some missteps along the ways for this organization, right? I mean, it uh, it, it hasn't been a. I I love. I love this organization, and yes, there has been some missteps. <laughs> well, and I wonder, you know, in your new role, and and especially knowing the community as well as you do, I mean, what what are some of the important what are the priorities in terms of I don't even know if it's reconnecting with the fan base or making sure that you appeal to as broad a cross section of that fan base in the valley or I mean it's one thing to just say well if you you know let's build a new arena and and that will that will solve all our problems I'm not sure yeah, it's that if, simple if you build it they will yeah, come right yeah. if you build it they will come. <laughs> <laughs> but what are the priorities for you yeah you know what um this is going to sound so simple, and yet I've decided that it's the more it's probably the one thing I learned about, and what I said more than anything is that good people matter, and people matter. Those two things. If you can get good people in your organization that are have the the idea that it's not about them, that it's about the organization, and it's about the the whole more than it is the individual, that you're going to have success. And then the people that you represent and the people that are your fans, they matter. And for me personally, that's, that seems to be so simple and yet it's, it seems harder than, um, to execute that kind of philosophy <laughs> than it, than it, than it is to say it. And, uh, but those two things are the most important for, for me personally. And we do need to make sure that we reconnect and stay connected with our, our fans that are here in the Valley. And to be honest, I will defend our fans here in the Valley because and if you had done to the fans of any other city pretty much in the NHL what we've done to the to the Coyotes fans over the last, you know, 25 years, it would it would be interesting to see how many would be still hanging in there. And for our fans to still be hanging in there with us speaks volumes to the amount of um passion and and uh, dedication they have to the group because there's been a lot of times where it probably hasn't been that easy to be a Coyotes fan but that's we're working on that yeah I, I remember covering that 2012 Western Conference final and the the building was absolutely hopping for that playoff run chain that was it just told you that it's there if you you know if you if you give them that that kind of situation and, and with consistency but uh it 
I should mention we had Ray Shiro on earlier in the podcast, and I, I asked Ray if he had ever tried to acquire you, and and uh, he said he never tried to trade for you because because of course no one thought you would ever be available when you're a captain of the Coyotes. But he he did reveal that he was one of the many teams late in your career that when you became a UFA uh, approached. Um, he approached your lawyer at the time when you changed agents. And I forget the gentleman's name that represented you at the end, but I think he was a baseball agent. Um, but he, he did say that he was GM of the Penguins at the time, and he did check in on Shane Dome. But, of course, uh, you stayed loyal right to the end there with the Coyotes. Yeah, you have an unbelievable memory. <laughs> it's, it's That is impressive because, yeah, it was it – was, Terry Ross was a was right. He was a, he was, was a, a baseball lawyer, which is hilarious that you would remember that. But yeah, um, and we did. We talked quite a bit about. Uh, I talked with them, and it was one of those things that, I mean, Ray is such a he's a gentleman, and and yet <laughs> ultimate the competitor and intense and all those things that you want to, at the same time of being so kind and um, yeah, we talked and. It was one of those things that you never. I've I've made it a personal goal not to ever regret any of my decisions that I made because you never mm-hmm. know how anything would ever turn out. But every now and again, you might let it play out in your mind a little bit to see, and that would have been fun. But it never ended up happening. And and if I could jump in, Scotty, just to, as a PS on that, because I I think you you know your loyalty to the coyotes it, it was interesting one of your contemporaries and the guy that you know very well Jerome McGinla he kind of went the other way and again I, i'm not criticizing Jerome at all everyone wants to win a cup and he kind of chased it at the end um you know and and pittsburgh boston la at the end and and you know you wanted so bad for Jerome to win that cup but i wonder what kind of impact that had on you because of how you you guys know each other it just seems to me like me. You made the conscious decision. I don't want to do that. Basically, yeah. And that was we talked about it. Him and I both have talked about it a little bit. And um, I think I was jealous of him getting the opportunity to see what the what the other organizations were like. And and he raves about each one of them and the and the differences. And he's so glad he did it. And then I think at times he's a little bit of me in the fact that I stayed with one. And then so right. I think bo- it's it's funny how you kind of always maybe want what the other has a little bit and you have to be. Um, but he saw, I saw what he did and I thought that was so cool for him to get the opportunity to obviously play with Sid and then go to Boston and be part of an original six and then play in L.A. or Colorado and do what he's I, I like. It was it was just amazing to to see the type of player that that uh, he was and how it translated for each one of those and in those different organizations where I was kind of at the end, probably a little bit more of in a, in a situation that wasn't quite, we weren't exactly contending at that point. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. <laughs> Shane, I, I got to tell you, the, the one thing I'm really curious about for you is not only are you, you're, you're back in the NHL as an executive with the coyotes, but you are the father of a young man who is eligible for the 21 draft. And your son, Josh, is off to a, a great start with the Chicago Steel. Actually, Ray brought that up himself. Uh, he, was, he, he must be keeping, he keeping tabs on, uh, on the Doan clan. But, um, and if I understand it, Josh is already committed to play D1 hockey at, uh, back home at Arizona State University. And I wonder what that process has been like for you 
you know, having gone through all that you did in your career, are you, uh, how hands on, hands on are you with Josh and these kinds of decisions and what happens and thinking about the draft and a possible NHL career? What, what's that been like for you to be the dad of a, of a, of a possible future NHLer? Well, nothing makes me happier than probably talking about Josh because <laughs> he is, uh, as, as he's grown, he's become, like, he is an unbelievable young man and regardless of what he does as hockey but he's in and now when as he started to have a little bit of success in the ushl his draft year was last year and he didn't get drafted last year and he didn't play very much they had like a historically good team and he didn't get to and now this year he's getting to play quite a bit more and he's he's having a lot of success in the last he's having a lot of success this year which is so i'm so happy and excited for him and it was weird for so I, I own a junior team in the in the Western Hockey League in the Kamloops Blazers, and it's amazing on how, you know, I, I tried to convince him maybe that he should come to Kamloops and play in Kamloops. Because, uh, <laughs> I figured as much. <laughs> that, that was kind of, uh, that would have been really cool. And yet, at the same time, I've, I've been very um, cognizant of the idea that he has to make his own path and do his, make his own decisions, and Going to Kamloops probably was going to put a little bit of undue pressure on the fact that he that I that I played there and I'd had so, we'd had so much success as a team there, and then obviously as I was being in part of the ownership group there, that it just made it maybe a little bit awkward. <laughs> um, and then he made his own decision with ASU. I, I we we had some opportunities to talk to some other organizations and some other universities and colleges and. Um, I was actually on the, the funny story is, is I was on the floor at the draft in Vancouver. So I was probably there with you guys and I was walking across the floor and someone walked up to me and said, Hey, congratulations on Josh. And I actually didn't know that he had actually committed until that moment because we talked about it, (laughs) but I'd left it alone for him to make his decision and I didn't want to be, and my wife was very adamant about the idea that, Hey, this is his, this isn't your path. You get, we can give him advice, but he's got to make his own decisions. And, and, uh, he was really excited about the opportunity to play for ASU and, uh, he wanted to do that. And, um, they'd obviously had some success in the last few years and he was excited to be part of that. Well, Shane, I have to tell you, I I hope you don't take this the wrong way. I don't like your chance of being the next TSN insider if you can't break your own son's (laughs) name. Isn't that the truth? No kidding. Ah, It just totally ruined my my reporting and my inside scoop ability completely. He did it all on his own, a little stinker. That's great. That's great. Him sort of coming home to to play at ASU and that whole – D1 story with ASU is it's a great story in and of itself and you know Austin Lemieux was there for a time it's I, it's so fascinating but it also strikes me that that's part of maybe the part of the hockey culture in the state of Arizona that people don't understand that that there is there is a really vibrant hockey network there and and you you would have grown up with that and seen Josh grow up within that it, do you think that's fair and maybe what what do you think that'll be like for you to watch him play D1 hockey basically in your backyard? Yeah, that that's huge. Yeah, and and, and Austin Lemieux was here. And then uh, actually for next year, the, the talk is is that if Josh was to make the team next year, 
it'd be Scotty Niedemeyer's boy and, and, and Josh are going to be there together. So it'll be, they've done a good job of, uh, of bringing in the, the, the sons of, of players in the past. Wish that I could throw myself in the same group as those two, but I'm not quite in that group. But uh, to be able to bring the the group that group in is is pretty cool. And the state and and uh, hockey here has grown so much. And obviously, uh, the Coyotes are the driving force behind that. Whenever the NHL comes to a city, you see that city's hockey market grow exponentially. And I, I'm excited to see what happens in Vegas as it's already started and what's going to happen in Seattle. And you start to have players like Austin Matthews come out of a state that would probably, he probably wouldn't have played hockey if the Coyotes hadn't been here. Mm-hmm. And now you see the the influence that they can have on on the NHL as a whole. It's, it's exciting. And, and, and that gives the kids here in the Valley, having someone like Austin, so much more confidence and credibility. It's, it's that amazing... Um, dynamic of when when you really see somebody or, or and you believe that you can do something because you've seen someone else do it that it makes it that much easier and uh, Austin has opened the door and given you know that true belief to a lot of boys here in the valley that think they can play in the NHL I don't know if any of them are going to do what Austin's doing but they're at least got the opportunity to play in the NHL well you know Austin Matthews is UFA on July 1st 2024 uh, is he Mr. Coyotes. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Could you imagine? We just have all of Leaf Nation all over us right now. But feel oh, free yeah. to comment on that, Shane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. I'm a big, big fan of Austin Matthews. Well, it, it, and actually, I mean, you spent some time on the ice with Austin, right? I mean, the, our, the, the stories of your workouts with Austin and Connor McDavid are kind of legendary. And I wonder if know what that what those kinds of experiences are like and again especially knowing that austin matthews comes you know basically and i think you're absolutely right i mean maybe he doesn't play the sport if it's not for the 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 coyotes being in the community i wonder what it's been like to you know sort of watch him become the you know the elite player that he's become yeah it's it's absolutely amazing and the way i saw I the cool part is, and I've told the story a few times, is Keith Kachuk, um, so Maddie Kachuk and him are really good friends. And Keith and Maddie were in, I think, Ann Arbor at the at the national program. And Austin broke his leg really bad at the at the at the national program, and he was going to miss the rest of the year. And Keith reached out to me at the time and was like, "Hey, there's a kid from Arizona. Would you mind talking to him?" And I I blew my ACL out really bad, and I missed nine months with when I was 17 as well. And so I kind of reached out to talk to him. And when he called me and told me his name, I'd met Austin before. And when we talked on the phone, he'd said, we've met at, around the ice stand or at different things. And so we got talking away. And Keith said his name was Austin Matthews. And, and I had we had a talk for about 45 minutes. And then the following summer, he came and skated with us at the as an NHL group. We have a, I usually run his practices for the guys as a captain at the time. And I do a kind of captain skate and any of the kids that were good enough to really maybe look like they had an opportunity to play in the league would get a chance to come skate with us. And he came over and started talking to me. And I was like, for whatever reason, I was thinking this, his first name was Matthew. And so I, he was, everyone introduced him as Austin and I'm like, oh, okay. 
And as we got talking, I realized, oh my goodness, this is a kid that I talked to on the phone for 45 minutes. We had a good, so then it kind of dawned on me. I was like, oh, I'll see how good he is. He scored four goals that game. We, we, in the like scrimmage we had, I'm like, holy man, this kid's unbelievable. And he was only 17 at the time. It was, it was my first real eye opening experience of seeing what he could do. And it was against NHL guys. And, uh, we were, we had fun and, uh, it was cool just to, the, the cool part about hockey here in the Valley is that it's a really tight, small knit group. And if you play hockey, you've probably hung around with NHL players because it's such a small group, especially early on as the, as we were growing, we were all together because there wasn't that many rinks where if you're in Canada and you go to a rink, there's, you know, 25, 30 rinks in a small little area the chances of running into an NHL guy because he's probably at an NHL rink are really remote. But here, I, I could, might be at Oceanside, I might be at the Ice Stand, I might be at Arcadia. And you, you, you just run into NHL players, and, and that developed a bond, I think, amongst the NHL players with the local minor hockey players that was really unique. Hmm. We had Pat Brisson on last month in the podcast, obviously talking about his son Brendan and yeah, you know, just the the exponential growth of, of minor hockey in California, and, and uh, you know, the Kings program, the Ducks, the Sharks, Northern California, Coyotes, and like you said, who knows what will happen now with Vegas? Uh, it's pretty, it's really amazing to think about. It, and he, he, man, since when they won, my son was playing. It was funny when they won in uh, what year did they win their first? The first one was in two thousand eleven. I think was their first one or 12 for the, yeah, for the 12. Kings 12. Yeah. 12. Yeah. yeah. Actually they beat us. Never mind. Sorry. That's kind of embarrassing. Um, um, I, w- I wasn't going to mention the end of that game, by the way, but <laughs> I don't even remember that. I don't remember that at all, Pierre. So you can mention that all you want. I don't remember anything from that. I've blocked all that out. Apologize to everyone. I've had to apologize to for that. Um, yeah. Um, but it was crazy to see, so my son was playing for Team California. It's a summer league kind of. They they had well, it was actually Southwest U.S. But then since they were all from pretty much California, they called the Team California. My son was the only one from Arizona on the team. But to be in L.A. as that was kind of as the for the last bit of the finals, he started playing in May, and then um, so I went and followed him around for a little bit in L.A. to see the minor hockey and the excitement of what was going on in LA was absolutely incredible. And, and that's what happens when you have an organization and you win and you do, and they did everything right. And they had so much success there as they were winning over and over again. So I agree. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's incredible to see what's going to happen in the next little bit. Shane, we're going to let you go. And it's been such a treat to hang out and, and really pleased for you to have made your way back home, hockey-wise, back to the Arizona Coyotes and wish you all the best with that new role. And, and of course, with your son and what happens with him moving forward. But, uh, yeah, here's, here's the hoping that, uh, that we can, uh, show up together and, in, in, in in a rink somewhere down the road in, in person, as opposed oh, to just right. doing it remotely, but, uh, no kidding. Been great to, great to hang out, but thank you for taking the time with us today. Well, thank you guys. Really appreciate you having me on. It's, uh, it's always cool to sit and talk with you two as just, you guys influence so much of our sport and it's so important that, uh, you guys do a good job of that. And that we're lucky because, it's not always a positive influence that comes out, but you guys seem to always be able to do that. So thank you guys so much. Too kind. Thanks, Shane. Awesome. Thank you.
All right. See you guys. It's great to catch up with Shane. And and I didn't bring this up, but they could have used him on the ice the last couple of games. They haven't scored now. I think they've been shut out twice in a row. But uh, yeah, it's I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see how things turn out there. I mean, it just it it is it is a struggle, but it's. Um, you know, I think it's still clear that they need to find a place uh, long term to play somewhere, whether it's downtown mm-hmm. Phoenix or out in Scottsdale or Tempe or whatever. But listen, I think Shane's right. The the more good, smart hockey people you have, and and people who are connected to that community, uh, I think is critical. And and he, and he, he this is where he belongs. So that maybe I. I, I, that's just my gut is he belongs. With yeah. He's team. the face of that franchise. And it was a crummy way that his playing career ended there. We won't get into it, but it was unfortunate. Um, and so to have him back there makes things right. That's for sure. And uh, we, you know, obviously I was joking about Austin Matthews on July 1st, 2024, <laughs> Scotty. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Austin Matthews will be a leaf for life. Everyone calm down. But he is from Scottsdale. Good point. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. All right. My friend, here we go, getting near the end of this edition of Two Man Advantage, uh, the athletic hockey show. A couple of questions from uh, our uh, loyal listeners, Twitter followers. And I like this is a question that um, comes from Matthew Jex, J-E-X. That's at MJex19. Yeah, I didn't. Okay, here we go. And, and this is a great question. I'm curious to see your response, Pierre. Which team's early struggles are most likely to reverse themselves? I think that's a great question. I wish I'd asked that to you. I would have taken full credit for that. But what, which team off to a slow start that you think still, you know, there's enough runway for them to, to reverse the trend? Yeah. 
I think Vancouver comes to mind. I, I'm not suggesting that the Canucks will, you know, go back to being the best team in Canada or or a team that's in the you know deep in the playoffs again. But certainly better than what we've seen early on. No question in my mind. I think you know Elias Pettersson is going to start scoring. Uh, they'll tighten up defensively. I think Thatcher Demko is going to get comfortable in net. Uh, he struggled at times, so I see some bounce back for Vancouver. I don't know if it'll be enough for them to make the playoffs. I think that's going to be pretty close there, but they will be better, I think. All right. I'm going to I'm going to throw my uh, hat in the ring. I got to tell you, I, I really do think that the Rangers are going to find their way. Uh, but boy, has it been. It's just been really hard for them. And mm-hmm. as you and I are chatting off to a one four and one start. I, I just think there's too much talent there. Um, I think it's obvious the goaltending has maybe. You know, I, I think uh, Shesterkin and Georgiev have maybe, you know, struggled without having the presence of Henrik Lundqvist in the Ranger organization. I think, you know, playing without an, if I can use the term, playing without a net, uh, safety net, as it were, um, might have been an issue for those uh, young netminders of the future for the Rangers. But I do think that they are going to get mm-hmm. it together. I think that there, there's too much talent there. Uh, but that is a, a for me. That's one of the biggest surprises of the season. The one four and one start for the Rangers, and I do think that they can turn the table there. So, uh, all right. And how about one more? And how about this? This uh, comes from Patrick, who wants to know what have you gleaned about how teams have used the taxi squad in the early season? And I I think it's fascinating because I think that's you know it's been part of. It's something new that teams have been able to to rely on and have had to rely on given the COVID nineteen situation. But to me, it's really it it really has challenged management and coaching staffs to work so closely together about getting the right people in the lineup, uh, using the mm-hmm. you know the salary cap and stuff. Are you surprised at how it's unfolded, or is it still sort of a, a an, an evolving art form? Well, it's still evolving because once the AHL's up and running, and we'll see how that goes this year. Yes. I mean, my goodness, I, I don't know if it's a sure thing that that they're able to complete a season, but we sure hope so. But once the AHL's up and running, it'll be even more interesting because, of course, you're going to want your your younger and, and higher end prospects to play hockey and not sit in a taxi squad. So, you know, how will that affect the composition of the taxi squad while at the same time having deaf players that you trust in case of COVID situations or injuries? So I'm looking forward to seeing that. But so far, it's been a mixture of, you know, uh, um, you know, teams that have actually used it for its original intent, which is depth. But some teams also using it to manage the cap. (laughs) So that you see players on the off days, technically, in terms of if you follow the paper trail, going down to the tax squad and the next day being back on the NHL roster, teams kind of maximizing the loopholes and the rules to to massage their cap situation. So a lot of that's been going on with the taxi squad. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, I I think in general, frankly, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if almost every single player that started the year on a taxi squad ends up playing in the NHL this year. That's how varied, I think, and taxing uh, the roster situations are going to be for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, good point. All right, my friend, it is just about time to wrap things up here. And as always, you know, we're sort of like the sandwich in the athletic hockey show. Uh, we're the meat in the athletic hockey show sandwich. Of course, uh, bookended uh, by our good pals. Ian Mendez in Ottawa and uh, Haley Salvian helping out. 
Uh, Sean McIndoe also on Monday and Thursday. Funny man. Yes. And uh, this week, Bobby Ryan from the Red Wings joined Ian and Haley on Monday's show. So you should check that out if you haven't already. Derek Engeland of the Vegas Golden Knights spends the full 60 with Craig Custance this week at the Athletic. Honestly, one, one of the most important players, I think, in, in Vegas Golden Knights history, right? Such an important part of that franchise, establishing an identity early on in, in 2018, and of course, going to the Stanley Cup final um, in their first season. So good on Derek Engeland. And Curtis Foster is Michael Russo's guest on Straight from the Source this week at The Athletic. You should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to The Athletic Hockey Show on Apple. If you aren't a subscriber, you should go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. That is almost giving it away, my friend. Right on, right on. 